Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. Today's guest on the A-Game Podcast is Clint Coons from Anderson Advisors. He is an absolute black belt in taxes and asset protection, corporate structures, entities, uh, all the different things that people have heard over the years about setting up LLCs and the way to structure their businesses and protect themselves, you will find out are actually probably not the best fit for you as you've been told in the past. So this guy has helped me out a lot over the last few years with my commercial stuff, my residential stuff, um, helping me with all of my uh, asset protections, my tax savings, my bookkeeping. They really have been a blessing. They've saved me a lot of time, a lot of stress, and a lot of money. They're doing a little something special for all the listeners here. So they're actually doing a free consultation for anybody who subscribes and listens to the A-Game podcast. If you go on our website, www.nicknicknick.com, and you click on the resources tab, you can schedule a free consultation with them, and they will evaluate anything you want to discuss as far as a game plan for you to assess what it is exactly you need, what type of things they can help with, and really see uh, what kind of catch-all they can do for you or your business, whether you're starting out new or you already have some stuff and some assets that you would like to protect. Check it out. I think you're going to get a lot of content out of this podcast and learn a lot of really cool things. And uh, unlearn some things you might have learned in the past that probably you're going to see might not have been the best fit for you. So hope you guys enjoy it. Clint Coons, great guy, absolutely brilliant, very helpful. Very funny. It's a tough topic. It's not really the most exciting, but he keeps it awesome, keeps it fun, and I really appreciate all the help he's been to me. I hope you guys get a lot of it as well. Thank you. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com, and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level, there's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. All right. I have Mr. Clint Coons with Anderson Advisors right now as I shut my ringer off. Uh, Very smart guy, very funny guy. I have him and his company take care of all my personal stuff, my business stuff. Um, he's just been an outstanding resource for me, and I appreciate him getting on bright and early. You are in uh, Seattle right now, right? That's correct. Yep. Washington State. Man, so it is uh, pretty pretty early by you, so I appreciate you getting up. But uh, So you are uh, you wear many hats. I'll let you talk a little bit about yourself quick and, and uh, what you primarily do, and then I'll jump into some of the stuff that you, you've done with, uh, with myself and some of our clients and some of the things that we're doing. But uh, take it away. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do in your company. Yeah, Nick. So what we do is we teach people uh, how to protect their assets. I mean, let's face it. If you're a real estate investor whom we work primarily with, uh, you face a lot of different challenges out there trying to build your business. And one of the things where we excel is that myself, I'm a real estate investor. My partners are real estate investors. We have a portfolio of over 100 properties across the United States. And we have this approach that I think is unique in that we look at real estate investing as a business, that you have to focus on asset protection, you have to focus on tax planning, but you also have to understand the business side of what it is that you're doing, because that's really going to help propel you forwards. And so many professionals, you know, they're just going to pick their leg. If it's an attorney, they're going to focus on asset protection. You know, being the fact that I'm an attorney, you think that's all I would look at. But I understand there's more to the investing. And then you have CPAs who uh, set up structures for people and they just focus on taxes, which is good. Everybody wants to reduce their taxes to the greatest extent as possible. And at Anderson, what we've done is we've actually built a practice of over 200 employees with offices in three different states where we've brought in both the legal and the tax planning side. So I have a a team of 75 tax planning professionals that work hand in hand with the attorneys to create these structures. But there's this overriding theme that everyone focuses on is that even though 
asset protection is important. We're going to put structures together to protect your assets. And tax planning is important. And we're going to do what we can to reduce your taxes. At the end of the day, if you're investing in real estate, you're trying to build a business. And the actions you take with regard to putting your structures together can have an effect both immediate and long-term on your ability to create wealth. So it's understanding, you know, underwriters, what they're looking for when you're putting your structures together to make sure that you're putting yourself in the prime position so you can help grow your business. Because whatever your end zone is, that is wherever you want to be within 5, 10, 15 years, your motivations to get there, your structures can either help you or they can hurt you. And at Anderson, we want them to help you. I love that. And uh, one of the things that I find very refreshing about what you guys do is for the last, I don't know, 13, 14 years I've been investing in real estate now, over the years, people are always bringing in asset protection guys, they're always bringing in an attorney, they're bringing in a CPA, and everybody's giving advice. And the, if, the advice over the years has been very generic. So, you know, people start out in real estate and they go, oh, yeah, no, I need an LLC. But even like that version of just getting an LLC, I've realized that there, there's layers to and just buying an LLC on LegalZoom and then saying I'm protected is completely inaccurate because, you know, somebody like you gets hired to come after somebody like me that hasn't actually maintained and put my stuff together. There's holes all over that. And people think cheaper is better. And just because they have an LLC, they're protected. And as I've raised the stakes and leveled up in my investing career, I've surrounded myself with better guys as well, which I feel like is equally as important because the, the guys that aren't the newbies they know what to look for. They know how to get around those things. And it's not as simple as going on LegalZoom and setting up an LLC, but people tend to do that. And again, one of the refreshing things I found is that I've never met anybody in your realm that's actually had a conversation with me and asked me what I want. Because I'll call you up and I'll say, hey, man, like I have this thing going on. What do I do? And you'll answer back with, well, what do you want to do? And let's talk about that first. Let's see what your goals are. And then we'll reverse engineer that back and see what our options are. Whereas I've always, until I met you, had people go, Nick, it's, it's A or it's B. And I'm like, well, what if A or B don't work for me? Well, A or B, choose one, that's all you got. And I'm like, well, I don't really like either one of those options. So it's really as overwhelming as it is when you give me all these other options. It's nice knowing I have them. And, um, you know, not to, to go too off topic, but I also love that I'll call you up and be like, you will never guess what happened. You're like, well, I've actually been having calls like that for 25 years. You'll never guess what happened. I have decades of all those things that people never saw coming. Let's talk about how to prepare against those things. I've seen all these things you've never thought of before. Let's have these resolution clauses in place. So there's just so many things that I've seen from you that you've seen for decades and decades. And when people go, I'm just going to do that myself, I go, you could, but for the next 35 years, you can do that on the highest level possible. And then maybe you'll know what Clint knows. So you'll know, that's not how we make money in our business. We make money in our business and save it by finding people like you that have already taken the bumps and bruises and done 10, 20, 30 years of helping those things. And, and I don't know why people don't understand the value in having somebody like you do that. So talk to me first and foremost about the misconceptions of people going, I go on LegalZoom, I set up an LLC. What do I need somebody like you for? Oh, sure. I mean, so think of it this way. You know, let's say you tore ligament in your knee. Okay. And you're going to go to a doctor. So which doctor are you going to go to? Well, your dentist is a doctor. And you say you went to your dentist to have your knee fixed. What is he going to do? Is he going to repair the anterior cruciate? No. What he's going to do is he look at your knee and he says, all right, well, I know what I can do here. I'm going to give you a little Novocaine and there you go. You're all better. You see, because the dentist doesn't know anything other than Novocaine. He's used to working on teeth, but he's still a doctor. So when it comes to asset protection and for real estate investors, you know, going to the legal dooms, going to your local attorney, they're going to give you the advice that they're most comfortable with, what they're most familiar with. And so it's no different than going to the dentist for that knee uh, issue that you're facing is that you're not going to get targeted advice that's really going to help you with your situation. So you'd rather, wouldn't you rather go to the, the uh, doctor that's going to help you with your knee, the knee specialist? Exactly. So when it comes to real estate investing, that's what you're going to want to be looking for. I mean, you talked about backing into the situation. This is a common problem that people have is that when they go to a local professional, they get out there on the internet, the number one entity everybody pimps out there is LLCs. Everybody needs to create a limited liability company. Now, LLCs are great. And don't get me wrong, we use a lot of them in our planning for real estate investors. But what type of LLC are you setting up? Where are you setting up the limited liability company? 
How is it going to be taxed? Those are three crucial aspects of creating your company that most people miss because they don't understand it. And then, you know, how many partners are you going to have? So what you have to really ask if somebody's creating a structure is, all right, what type of financing are you going to be using? Are you using an HML or using institutional financing? Is this going to be a traditional lender, Freddie Fannie type loan? Okay, what type of property do we have? What are your goals? Do you want to take that property and stabilize it and sell it within three to five years? Or is this going to be a long-term hold? Uh, how many partners are you bringing in? What are their credit scores? Are they going to affect your ability to obtain financing? So these are the things you focus on first before you even talk about the structure. And a lot of times when I have that conversation with real estate investors, they're saying, well, this gets so complicated. Oh, I didn't think it was going to be so complicated. Well, okay. Do you want to do it right? Or do you just want to put something in place and then you can figure out down the road how you screwed up? And I tell people this at the very beginning, when you're creating your structure, if you're not asking those questions, I'm going to write the story for you, meaning I know how this is going to end. And the classic example I can think of is there's this individual who bought a multifamily, put it inside of an LLC, worked with a CPA. And the CPA told him, all right, we'll create this structure and I'll set it up as a disregarded entity. You want it to file a tax return. And of course, the investor was real excited about that, I imagine, because he's going to save $1,000 a year by not filing a tax return for a limited liability company because you can set them up as disregarded entities. And this is the mindset problem that so many people have is, you know, they're tripping over pennies on their way to dollars. They don't see the larger picture and they say, oh, I save $1,000. Great. That's the way I want to go with this. But they don't see the long-term implications of saving the thousand dollars that really that saving that thousand could cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars down the road which this guy discovered because when he stabilized the property tried to sell it every buyer kept falling out of financing because their lenders kept asking for copies of the tax return associated with the llc to verify rents and expenses and he didn't have that because his cpa set him up so he didn't have to file a return and right then and there i mean that's you know, I see it as basic 101. You know, when you're dealing with someone, what type of property you're buying? How do we want to structure this? The guy didn't know this. The CPA didn't understand it. So he set him up with a structure that gave him asset protection, but really didn't help him build his business. And so this guy couldn't sell his property without carrying back the contract. And this is where you're going to get into trouble. If you're a multifamily real estate investor, you know that there's a certain way you run those properties. It's not the same way you run in a single family. And you sell that to an investor and you carry the paperback for two years so they can move in and, and they can run it and then they can go and refinance you out. They could just easily destroy the property and you have to take this thing back. Now you're at, you went from 95% occupancy down to 60% occupancy, restabilize the property. And you thought you're just going to have this nice cash out at the end of the day. Well, you set it up just on the structure alone, put you in that position. So that's what you really need to focus on. You need to work with professionals who understand your motivations, your business, and they want to help you reach your goals. And as you described, the question begins not with what type of LLC I should be setting up. It's what type of investing are you getting involved with? And then let's explore that and all the issues around that. And then we'll figure out a tool that will help assist you, protect yourself, reduce your taxes, and build your business. Man, that, that is outstanding. That's, and that's, again, the type of thing that people don't hear from their average CPA or their average attorney. And I make the joke when we do the classes together that, you know, your CPAs have one, one thing in mind, your attorneys have another thing in mind, but usually that information's okay, but it's not the best information for what we need for that hybrid as a real estate investor. And each unique person and each unique deal and each unique property has their own specific thing. There's not a cut and dry solid answer and people don't like that. They get frustrated. Well, I just want to know what to do. It's not that simple, you know? So I love the fact that you guys not only have both sides covered, so you have the CPA side, you have the attorney side, but you also have the real estate investing side, which I think is really the biggest difference because a lot of CPAs and attorneys, they read stuff out of a book, just like a lot of people who teach real estate seminars just read stuff out of a book. But when you've actually done it right or wrong, the lessons that you learn are different. You learn those things to look out for. And I think that there's extreme value to that. You know, I, um, I do jujitsu and things like that. And Matt Sarah, I remember he was criticizing this one guy who kept making fun, not making fun of fighters, but giving them bad advice, judging them on things. And he went, look, you're giving advice, but you've never fought. It's like being a swimming instructor who's never actually been in the water. You don't really know what it's like to be there. Whereas you guys do. And, and I, I really don't find anybody that does it on your level, owns 100 properties and, able, and is able to dig in those things. Are you finding that that's where 
your company continues to grow because every year that I talk to you, there's new things that are popping up. There's different things you're adjusting. And I feel like the reason you guys are able to do that and a lot of other places aren't is because you're actually in the real estate game every single day. Yeah, I mean, what's really propelled our growth, number one, is the fact that we're real estate investors ourselves. So we, we speak the same language that our clients do, and we invest all over the United States. So it's, we're not just limited to, say, Nevada or Wyoming or Washington State. We're out there putting deals together in all 50 states, and so are our clients. So we can really speak to the individual on a more granular level. For example, if you're talking about buying property in Florida, well, we can discuss then not only the challenges with the asset protection down there and certain types of entities, but moving those properties into the entities and the tax issues you may face if it's not set up a certain way. And a lot of attorneys, they're just going to miss those issues because they're not investing there. They don't have clients that are in those jurisdictions. And so they don't quite understand what the nuances are that need to be addressed in order to make sure that client finds success. And so that's really helped propelled our growth uh, over the years. I mean, we started out, I was just myself in a room in, in my house when I, when I passed the bar. And, uh, but I was laying the foundation because really the way I look at things is when you're, when you're building a business or you're getting involved in real estate uh, investing, you really have to put planning in place. And then where you find you, you, where the success lies is where planning meets opportunity. And I mean, I saw this in my own business. When I started creating uh, the foundations for Anderson, I knew where I wanted to go. I didn't have the 200 and some employees at the time, but I knew I wanted to build something big. And the way you got there was by putting all the foundations in place, all the pieces, so that when an opportunity did present itself to me about a year and a half after I had passed the bar, I was able to take advantage of that, season the opportunity, beat out my competition because I could take action. I could do something that very next Monday when this individual brought this proposal to me, whereas my competition, they, they were telling them, well, I need a month or I need three months to get up to speed. I was already there. And so when it comes to investing, you know, you can't sit back and wait. You can't be waiting. Well, I just decided today I'm going to do a 1031 exchange and I have an LLC and I have partners and I put the property under contract. No, that's a mistake. You should have been working with us beforehand discussing those issues. We should have done a drop and swap on that and made sure that you were set up the right way. And if you're working with someone who doesn't get it, you know, many times you're going to lose out on opportunities. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the craziest thing because I get it when people are starting out, they can't even think about these potential things that it can go wrong. But I, I tell everybody it's like insurance. You know, it's the kind of thing that you're paying for these things and hopefully you never have to use them. But if you do, the difference is, you know, car insurance, you know, a few thousand dollars maybe, you forget this, you forget that. With real estate stuff, as you scale up, you could literally lose everything. I mean, it, it is not a game. and it's, it's such a thing that I, I get it initially because you don't know those pains of it. But when people get into real estate, they're getting into it to create a lifestyle and you scale up pretty quick. And I was just at a, a networking event in Ohio and there was about 100, 150 very high level guys there. Like almost everybody in the room is a millionaire. People are doing over 100 deals a month. And the instructor went, hey, who in this room has been burned before with a property, with an employee, with a partner? Every single hand in the room went up. So anybody that starts out, oh, I have a couple of properties here, a couple of, I don't need all that. You're just days, weeks, months, or a deal away. It's going to happen. I don't know anybody that stays in the real estate game that it hasn't happened multiple times at this point. And having those things makes it just not a big deal. And those few thousand dollars a year to protect that, especially when people are borrowing other people's money, cleaning out other people's retirements to throw into deals, spend the extra money to protect that to protect your reputation because you don't take out the proper insurance after you present yourself as a professional, then you take somebody's money and throw it into a deal and now you lost the property and you lost the money. How the hell are you going to have anybody want to invest with you ever again? You're done. So I feel like having somebody like you around to help me not only protect myself, but protect my investors and protect my reputation is the kind of thing that's going to keep me in this for the long ball when everybody else is running away. And you know, that, that's really the key. You don't want to get into this business, do a couple of deals and get the reputation of somebody who lost everybody's money, then you're done. Now what are you going to do? You know, so I feel like that purpose alone is worth the, the, it's an insurance policy to make sure that you have 10, 20, 30 years of good deals and protecting people. So um, I know you deal with stuff like that every single day. What is some of the things you're seeing that 
are some basic mistakes people make on the residential side, and then maybe some basic things that people don't see when you transfer over to the commercial side. Yeah, so to your point, it's not if you're going to be sued, it's when you're going to be sued. And so when you're setting yourself up, you know, there's this mistake that people think is that, well, I'll go out there and I'll get a few properties and then I'll consider creating asset protection. Well, the problem with that thinking is that you can't plan for a lawsuit. You don't know when it's going to hit. And most of the time it's going to hit at the most inopportune time. And it has the potential then to devastate your investing. I mean, just think if you're sued, what it's going to do to your life, it's going to throw your life into turmoil. All right. We know it's expensive. You're going to have to hire an attorney. And then the, uh, on top of that, you know, there's the emotional aspect that you can't focus on your real estate investing anymore because you're going to be so preoccupied with this lawsuit. It's probably going to create stress in your marriage. So many marriages fail as a result of lawsuits because the the spouse is just, it it creates chaos there. And then your friends find out about it. And then you have to live with the public shame of knowing you're being sued. I remember there was an individual uh, where I live that when the market turned, uh, he was involved in a lawsuit from some of his investors. And doesn't matter if it was a shakedown lawsuit. It doesn't matter if they knew the risk. The fact is, is that when you would see this individual and you would talk to him, you know, you're like, hey, everything's great. And he's like, yeah, I'm working through it. And you could just tell he was down. I mean, he was so depressed and scared that he'd be walking down the street and, and a car would backfire. He'd jump in the bushes thinking somebody was coming after him. Um, but the fact is, when he would walk off, people would start whispering, yeah, can you imagine he's still being sued and blah, blah, blah. So there's this other aspect about it as well that just starts to devastate people. And I don't want to see them go through that. You, you know, you talk about a new investor. I mean, so many investors, before they even get started, are out of the real estate investing game because of mistake. There was a doctor uh, that had retired. He went out and bought his first single family. Thought he was going to be a flipper. And he did it in his own name. And he's out there working on the project. And he's got this uh, excavator. And he swung the bucket around and actually killed his brother-in-law right then and there. He'd only been on the project for a week. Boom, he's bankrupt. He's back to practicing medicine now to pay off all of his debts. And so with single family, I mean, it's the idea that people can get hurt on the job. The properties you purchase, they create liability for you. Uh, I was recently dealing with someone. They're, they're being sued right now because the neighbor uh, was severely mauled by their tenant's dog. Now, did the tenant's dog run out and maul the neighbor? Hell no. The neighbor's dog ran into the backyard, started attacking the tenant's dog, which was tied up. And then the neighbor came over to pull her dog off because her dog was, you know, it's one of those small dogs that have big dog syndrome. They think they're a huge dog and they're really not. And it attacked another dog that was much larger. Well, the neighbor went over there. (laughs) Yeah, I know your bite's vicious. But anyways, the point is this. When the neighbor went there, she got mauled by the tenant's dog. And so now she's suing the landlord. Over, over for her medical bills and, you know, of course, all the pain and suffering. And you just look at cases like that and say, this is stupid, but it happens. You talk about on the commercial context, what can happen there? Well, you have the issue uh, with regards to, the you know, working smoke detectors in property. So this is a big one. Your tenants disable their smoke detectors because of the fact that they want to smoke or maybe they're doing Built, uh, they got their home-based business or cooking drugs in the apartment building. Who knows what's going on? And that place burns down, you're going to be liable. In fact, that actually happened to one of our clients and the smoke detector wasn't working. Well, why wasn't it working? Because the tenant disabled it, but it doesn't relieve you of liability. So there are a lot of landmines out there and you want to do your very, very best to ensure that when disaster does strike, you're just not an open book. You can compartmentalize it where, yes, that asset is at risk. And that is the only asset that is at risk. That is why I tell people, do not put more than one property into one limited liability company. And other attorneys will say, well, it's about the equity. Hell, it's not about the equity. Let me ask you this. If you were being sued tomorrow and you have five properties and I walked up to you and said, how many of these properties do you want to lose? I guarantee your answer is going to be one, not oh, I'm willing to give up all five. Well, if you create an LLC and you put all five properties into one LLC, then yes, you are saying, I'm willing to give up all five. So you want to use sound planning, working with someone who understands how investing works and how lawsuits can devastate an investor and take them out of the game completely. Because once you get hit with one of these, if it's in your personal name and they get a judgment against you, that judgment's going to follow you around. 10, 20 years. And so every time you go to get a loan, that's going to pop up on your credit report. And you don't want that. You have existing assets in your own name. They'll file a lien and they'll record that judgment in those states or those counties, wherever you own the property. And that'll 
amount to a lien on your property. So you can't sell a refi without paying it off. I think that's really the key. And I've heard you say this before that there's not really anything you can do to stop people from suing you. The difference is when it happens, how difficult are you making it? And, and I, I give the example, which is a, you know, a very probably simplistic, overly simplistic example of an alarm. So a burglar wants to break into your house. They look at it, they go, you know, this guy's got bars in the windows. He's got an electronic keypad on the door. He's got a watchdog. He's got a gate. He's got a camera. I could get in there. But the guy next door doesn't have anything. I could just crawl right in the window. I'm just going to go for that. So I feel like it just makes people do that type of thing. And on your side of it, again, somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, you know what? I want to sue this guy. And they look and they go, yeah, they own a bunch of properties. They're all free and clear. They're all on their own. You know what? This should be pretty cut and dry. I'll take it on the house, pay me later versus, you know what? Yeah, we probably can sue this guy, but there's going to be a lot of work involved. We're going to have to find ways to pierce, pierce the corporate veil. We're going to have to do some digging. So it's going to take some labor and time on my side. So I need a $20,000 check up. For, hello? Hello? Like they're already running out the door. Like oh, mm-hmm. most of them are probably exactly. for a free lunch. Most of the lawsuits you're seeing, I, I would assume are, are just people looking for a, a free dinner. It's the lowest hanging fruit analogy is what I would tell people. You can be the lowest hanging fruit in the tree and people are going to pick you off. But if you're the highest hanging fruit, you're way up at, on top of the tree. Where do the attorneys want to go? They want to go to the low hanging stuff. They're not going to climb up into that tree. And the way you structure yourself, you can either be in the low side, which you hold everything in your own name, or you can be way up in the tree because your assets are set up in structures that are impenetrable and their assets are taken out of your name. So if somebody runs an asset search on you, they don't even know that you have them or they don't even know that you're the owner. So they don't even know who to go after. Here's an interesting point on that. So some of the strategies that we teach is how to ensure that if somebody is performing an asset search on you, looking your name up, you don't pop as being the owner of the entities that you've created to hold your real estate. So I teach, you know, I have a YouTube channel where I talk about this. Well, the other day, one of my employees sent me a, a recording of a show on NPR from, from New York City. And they were talking about how you can use LLCs to hold properties. And the, the, the whole issue or part of the issues surrounding the show was that landlords, people buy real estate inside of limited liability companies and they insulate themselves from their tenants' complaints. Well, that's kind of the whole reason why you do it. And then they said the other issue is that the owners of these LLCs, you can't even figure out who they are and how horrible that is. And then they cut to a clip of this individual talking about how you can set up structures. It was actually one of my YouTube videos. They pulled the audio from it. <laughs> and I thought, way, right on. Now I've become an expert at least something, right? How to hide your assets. I made it on NPR. Um, but it, I found it to be somewhat comical that these individuals who are hosting this show, they don't understand that, you know, it's not my duty, okay, to disclose the fact that I own these limited liability companies. Why don't I have a right to privacy when I own property? If you want to sue, you can sue the LLC. I just don't want you doxing me, coming after me and harassing me, especially in this climate right now where it's become so hyper-political and where younger people think that the way you go after someone is you attack them personally and you try to destroy their reputation. You go online and you begin reputation or destroy the reputation on, online as well. That makes it, of course, then really hard for you to invest in real estate if somebody punches your name in and you have this big, huge uh, smear campaign that's been enacted against you. So privacy is really important in this day and age. And so when you create your structures, you should be doing that, uh, setting up your structures with that in mind, because if you set them up the right way, then they don't know who to go after, who to hit. And so that's part of this uh, planning as well. That's such a huge piece. You know, and it's funny because even me, some of the properties I've gone to refinance, I forgot that they were set up by you guys. And then the bank would call me and say, well, we can't find anything anywhere that should do all these properties. And I was like, oh, that's right. That's a good thing. Let me go there. It's, it's like almost when the credit card goes, oh, we want you to call. And it's annoying at the time. You're like, but that's a good thing that they're doing this. So it means it was done the right way, which is a really huge thing. And uh, I don't know if you were the one who told me, but I know they say the, you know, statistically people who win the lottery, they're broke within the first year. And a high percentage of that is because they don't have any financial IQ, but the rest of that percentage is that they got sued by people who went, oh my goodness, they have money, let's sue them, and then went after them. So they're just not protected, you know? It's Absolutely. You're not going to sue the bum on the street that gets up and kicks you one day as you're walking down the sidewalk on First Avenue. 
but you're going to sue the person that runs into your car that is driving the Mercedes Maybach 5 S550. Okay, it's just, just the way we are. We know that that's where we're going to find recovery. It's not worth our time to go after the person that has a grocery cart and a sleeping bag, okay, unless you really desire those items. So putting yourself in that position, I always tell people, you know, I, I look this way because I can, not because I have to. And that's what you can do with your structuring, okay? So you can put it in a position where uh, if somebody's doing an asset search, you appear to own nothing. And so many people get worried about that. They say, well, I can't qualify for loans. It's like, Sure you can't. You forget. When you go to qualify for loans, they're not looking, performing an asset search on you. They're looking at your tax returns. Everything's disclosed to the IRS. That all shows up on your 1040. That's what goes to the lender. So that that's private information. What I'm concerned about is that disgruntled tenant that's looking to harass you or you're looking to find an attorney to go and bring this false claim against you to shake your assets down. And if they know you have a lot at risk, then of course they know they can shake that tree pretty hard and that there's going to be some fruit falling out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now the, you, you touched on something there as far as the uh, qualifying for loans. So that, that's been another big thing that um, for, for me, one of the things that I, I get asked a lot is like, well, you know, what are you doing at the end of the year for your taxes? What are you doing here? What do you do? And when I tell them that I use you, I give them back that same answer of like, well, what do you want? Because some years, you might need more deductions. Some years you want to contribute more to retirement. Some years you need more cash on hand to reinvest. Some years, you know, you're, you're paying yourself more of a salary because you want to show income. Some years that's, that's not the goal. And I feel like that's probably something that changes year to year, where you are with your investments, what's going, you know what I mean? So that's another thing that I think is always a moving target that you guys address a little bit. So what are you seeing as far as how you handle that. Are you having different discussions every year with your clients for what they want or what they want to do or how they want to structure things depending on their goals and their properties and their current financial status or where they are with those renovations, X, Y, and Z? You have to. I mean, everybody has, wants to reduce their taxes. And that's the one thing where I have to push back on a real estate investor when they come to me and say, I want to get my taxes down to zero. Well, okay. I don't know if we can do that. But if you did reduce your taxes that far, then I guess you no longer want to invest in real estate or you have so much cash, you're buying everything for cash, you're no longer using leverage. And they're shocked to get that response. Like, no, no, I still plan to invest. Well, then we're not going to reduce your income down to near zero because now you've taken yourself out of the game. And a lot of CPAs don't understand this aspect of investing is that you need to look at the client and understand their motivations. What type of deals are you planning to take down? If you're going to stay in the single family realm and you're going to use Freddie Fannie type of financing, then you need to show W-2 income. So we need to create a structure where you have active income. So maybe that's pulling income off your rentals, reconverting it into salary to kick it back out to you as W-2 because that's what those lenders like to see. If you're going to go into the uh, multifamily space, commercial buildings, well then, Income isn't as important any longer with those typically with those types of loans. Now we're looking at experience. So we're going to want to show that you have experience in investing. So we want our structure set up in a way that shows you're an experienced investor. And that actually <clears throat> comes from your tax returns. So this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Single member disregarded LLCs. Okay, great. I get to save some bucks by not having to file a tax return. Yeah, but they all show up on your 1040 Schedule E page one. And what type of signal does that send to the commercial lender where you're saying you're an experienced investor? It says you're not because experienced investors don't hold properties uh, in single member disregarded entities that show up on Schedule E page one. They're using partnerships that produce K-1s that show up on page two. That's just the way those deals go down. So your the way you write the story, okay, is how people are going to interpret it. And your tax returns speak a lot to what it is that you're doing and can either help you or hurt you with your investing. And so knowing the type of investing you want to get you want to be involved with is really important. And so you create the structures around that. And so on an annual basis, you're looking at what are we going to do next year? Well, I'm going to buy more properties for, for cash or they're going to be in the commercial context, which is a, a discussion I have with this one client. He flips commercial buildings and multifamily properties and a CPA had him taxes and escort. Well, when you when you run the numbers, you know, he's in a, a state that has throws 10% on top of his federal. He was paying about 47% a year in taxes. And I said, my gosh, do you need all that money? He's like, no, 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 I don't need all that money. 
that I'm, that I'm taking out of the company. I said, why don't we leave it in, have a tax at a flat 21%, give you back, you know, that additional 26% that right now you're paying to the state and feds. And you can turn around and put that into your investing. It's, could you do more? He's like, oh, absolutely, I could do more. I said, well, then this is the plan. You get a CPA on the line and the CPA is like the Morton Salt man that comes along and says, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Double taxation. They start throwing out all these words. And I said, hold the bus there, Mr. Morton. Okay, why can't we do this? And his number one concern was double taxation. We need to have him in an S. I said, no, that's not his number one concern. His number one concern should be he's overpaying in taxes because you've kept him in an S and it's, re- it's preventing him from moving his business forwards. I had a conversation with him and I asked him, I said, if I put an extra $400,000 in your pocket next year, could you do another deal? And he said, absolutely. And I said, what would you generate off that deal? And he said, probably a half a million dollars. Bam. C Corporation will get you that extra $400,000. And then I asked the CPA, I said, do you know where he plans to retire? No, because the CPA never thought to ask that. I said, well, he plans to retire in a tax-free state. So when he pulls that money out of his C Corporation, there isn't a double taxation. He'll still be in a lower tax bracket overall than if he stuck with your structure. And so that's really the planning that you need to look at when you're working with someone. And that starts at the very beginning, and then you monitor it as their investing grows over the years. And if, you're, if your professional is not doing that for you, then they're doing you a disservice, and they don't understand the nature of your business, especially on the real estate side. Yeah, man, there's so many lanes, so many things that people just can't think about ahead of time. This is why us as the investors, we need to be out there finding more deals, finding more money, putting more things together. And have people like you just do that because, I mean, I tell everybody that every time I talk to you, I feel like I know nothing. I'm like, man, like I didn't even think about that. And then every year that stuff starts to change. So I just, you know, I, I understand the importance of having a good team, but not only having a good team, but having all-star players on the team. And people get so caught up in their HR block guys, or I'm just going to do it. I'm a good contractor. I'm going to fix the house myself. All right. Well, you could be the best pitcher in all of baseball, but if you don't have a first baseman and a catcher, and an outfield, you're not going to win any games. Like, and that's, that's where I feel like it's short-sighted. People need to grow. And if you truly want to grow and protect what it is, you have to do these things. And I get calls every day from people, hey, Nick, I own these properties. Really? How much do you have in them? Oh, this. What are they worth? Oh, they're worth this. Sounds like you got a lot of equity. Where are they? Well, here's the addresses. Okay, well, I hope you're not having this conversation with anybody else because you just told me you own a bunch of free and clear properties. You told me exactly who owns them, exactly what the addresses are like. That's the only thing you need. Luckily, I'm not a piece of trash, but I mean, that's the kind of thing that people do. Hey, what's your advice on this? I own these properties in my own name. I got a lot of equity in them. What should I do? It's like, well, first thing you should do is shut up. Stop telling people that. Call yeah. them right away and get these things protected, but they don't even think like it's too late, but there's, there's those things out there and those stories of, well, I just told you, or I just told this person, or I just told this person. That's how everybody gets burned. I never thought this guy would have done that or this person would have done that. Nobody does. That's why you hire those people or why you do partnerships with those people. So it's just an unfortunate piece of life. And uh, touching on that, partnerships. So the old partnerships are sinking ships. Um, I know you've helped me out with a lot of that. And uh, I would say I definitely, more so than having deals that go south, my partnerships have been the things that really go south and cause you to want to just get out of the deal because of the, the rifts of the things in there. And then you realize people don't do what they say they're going to do. So having those agreements up front and having everything in writing just for God forbid the 1%, which has turned into a lot higher than that, that somebody doesn't do their part or money gets weird. Um, are you finding that that's a high percentage of when people call and go, Oh my God, you'll never guess what happened. Me and my partner had a falling out. Like what kind of, what kind of stuff are you finding on that realm? Cause people are quick to want to involve yeah. <laughs> together. And they, you know, I tell people, even if you do a partnership with somebody you love, respect, and trust and have a long relationship with, there's a pretty good chance that's going to end bad. And now you want to go do it with somebody you barely know. It's, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, it always comes down to violated expectations. And I'll have a conversation with someone. I'll sit down with them and they'll say, well, I, I, I want to go into business with this individual. And I'll say, great, this is what we need to do. You're going to need to put together a partnership agreement. And they'll say, it always comes like this. Well, how much? And I'll say, does that really matter? How much are we going to be investing here? You know, uh, what is the potential if you don't do it right uh, of loss? And it, they say, well, I'm just trying to put my budget together. So I'll throw out a number. I'll probably run you $4,500 to put together a good partnership agreement. And they'll be shocked. Why so much? 
I said, well, because at the end of the day, you have two different individuals with different personalities, with different expectations, and all that needs to be fleshed out, put down on paper so that when you're six months into the deal and he decides to fart in the bed, all right, you don't turn around and go, oh my gosh, I didn't expect that. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not okay with that. Well, that's because you never talked about it ahead of time. And so you need to address those issues ahead of time and spell them out in the operating agreement so that we realize, hey, this is okay or this is not okay. If you don't do this and this is what's going to happen. So there's an easy exit plan, especially if you're the individual who's put bringing in the money to a deal. I mean, you're putting your capital at risk. You want to make sure that you can hold the person who's developing that property, running the project, you can hold them accountable to you for your investing. Otherwise, your invest your dollars could just be spent needlessly. There's no accountability for it. They're in control. You find out one of these days that they've frozen you out. They're taking all the income. And you're like, what do I do? And you call me up at that point in time. I'm going to tell you this. Walk away. And you're going to look at me like I'm a three-headed alien from a different planet. You're going, I've invested $300,000. and You expect me to walk away? Okay, fine. Go out and hire an attorney, spend $75,000 and call me back up and tell me what you decided to do. <laughs> and you're going to tell me then you decided to walk away because the only people that make money in this are the attorneys. And I had a, a good friend of mine, he lost a million dollars in a hotel project in Mexico with someone else because he didn't have the right agreement in place to protect his interests. They went into this because they were good friends as you brought up. And at the end of the day, he didn't follow my advice because it was a million bucks. I get it. You have an emotional attachment to it. But again, that story was written from day one. When you didn't do the right things, put the right foundations in place, everything starts with a plan. You build a house, it starts with a plan. You write a book, it starts with a plan. Everything we do begins with plans. When you don't have a plan, just think if you went out there and tried to build a house without a set of plans, is that house going to pass inspection? Is it going to be standing 10 years from now? Probably not. You might be able to get something that put up that looks like a structure and, and people think it's a house, but then they're going to start finding problems with it. Well, that's the same thing with the partnership that when you go into this, you need to address those difficult issues at the outset so that there won't be those difficult situations uh, arising later on. And back to that individual in Mexico, he spent $250,000 on attorney's fees and got nowhere and finally pulled the plug. So he didn't lose a million. He lost $1.2 million on it. And that is unfortunately happens far too often in joint venture deals because people want to take it on the cheap. They haven't done business yet. They haven't made any money yet. And they keep saying, well, I haven't made any money yet. Therefore, I don't need to invest into this. Well, I'll tell you what, you can invest into it and you will never make money and you'll lose a ton of money down the road if you didn't spend a little bit now. I've never met someone who will tell me, you know, I really regret spending that money ahead of time because it saved me $3 million in that lawsuit. But mm -hmm. I've had multiple calls each and every year from people who said, gosh, I wish I would have had this information before I went through bankruptcy. I would have saved all my assets. I've got tons of emails from individuals that will come to our events and talk about that. And they'll send them to me after the fact uh, why they wish they would have had this information earlier. It would have saved them. And that's the thing that really distresses me is that so many people get misinformation from professionals who are well-meaning just do not understand. I've learned a lot in the last couple of years, not as much on the real estate side, but more about business and how real estate, even if you're a great developer, a great operator in real estate, if you don't manage a correct business, it's still going to fail no matter how good you are in real estate. Again, you're a great pitcher, you don't have a great team, you're going to fail. And I see it always being because people are cutting corners. Oh my goodness, I just lost... $60,000 on this deal. Well, what happened? Well, I didn't know that the HVAC and the electrical were shot. And by the time I caught it, and then I tried to fix it with the cheaper contractor, and then I got the other guy in there, and then the city flagged it. And I'm like, but didn't that pop up during your home inspection? Didn't you have the little check boxes on there that this needs work, or this needs to get somebody looked at, and then you have the guy go in there? No, I didn't do that. Why? I wasn't going to waste $450 on an inspection. That's a waste of money. Well, you bought a $450,000 house, you borrowed $200,000 from somebody else, now you lost the house and you lost their money and you lost your reputation. How much was that $450 now? So I feel like things like inspections, things like appraisals, things like getting proper bids, things like protecting your asset, having a good CP, those things are part of the business. And when you try and cut the corners on them, it might not bite you today, it might not bite, bite you tomorrow, but when it does it's going to swallow you whole. And it just, it's so frustrating to watch people cut those corners thinking, oh, oh, he's just trying to sell me another end. No, no, I'm trying to save your ass because then you're going to call me after and go, 
oh my goodness, look what happened. What do I do? It's like, well, I can't help you now. You should have done the advice they gave you six months ago. So I'm sure that gets very frustrating from your part when they don't listen to you and then they call you to what I call unscramble the egg. Yeah. You can pay now or when you're in trouble, you can pay doubles, what I tell people, because that ends up happening. I mean, think about this. You know, let's say you don't go into your doctor for preventative care like you should be doing because you're trying to save a few hundred dollars a year from going to the doctor. And then when you get that massive heart attack and he's wheeling you into the operating room and he looks down at you and he says, oh, by the way, uh, by the way, Nick, you know, normally this would be $10,000 for this surgery. But since you waited, it's going to be 100000 you get up off the gurney and say, no, thanks, doc. You're like, hell, I'll pay you $200,000. Save my life. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen in a lawsuit. You're going to be willing to pay whatever it takes to keep your house, to keep your wife, to keep your kids in school. Because if you don't, you understand what the ramifications are uh, in that situation. And so I tell people, I said, you know, put the foundation in place today. Spend a little bit of money. Get your structure set up the right way. So when that disaster strikes, you know, it's not the heart attack. It's just a little uh, arterial fibrillation that you're having right now. And that's easily correctable. Here, take a pill and you're, and you're fine. Um, that's what we want to do with our structuring. We don't want you in a massive cardiac arrest situation where at that point in time, there's nothing we can do for you. And I tell you, hey, sorry, I could have helped you five months ago, six years ago when you originally started this, but now it's too late. And I've had a lot of conversations with people like that where they say, what should I do? And I say, well, best thing you can do is negotiate a settlement and, and try to get out of this because if you don't, here's what the ramifications are going to be. And so, you know, you're stuck now and you can just see how crestfallen they become when they, they realize the implications is that they put themselves in this situation. You know, and then their spouse is saying, well, why didn't you do this beforehand? And now you got to explain it to your spouse why you can no longer live in your house and you have to sell it. And they can't drive the cars that they're accustomed to driving any longer because those have to be sold in order to handle this lawsuit. Because you chose to engage in a venture that has risk and you didn't want to put in place the proper structures to protect yourself and your family from that risk. It's just, I think it's just crazy. Yeah. And you, you say it a lot, but... It doesn't even become the financial loss after you start the day into these. It becomes the stress and the brain damage of, you know, there's things when it first pops up that I go, oh, I, I would never agree to do that. And then after six months, you go, you know what? I'm just, I need to just be done with this, you know, and just get yeah. rid of it. And then you look back, you go, I spent twice the money I would have spent anyway. I could have been done with this six months ago and on to something else. But, you know, I call it pandate. People want to just pick it a little, pick it a little, pick it. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks. But if you just take a deep breath and go, all right, write the check, spend the money, do the docs, do whatever it is, and, and just be done with it. And you'll be so much better off just getting it done. And again, I feel like that's a, a big business thing. It's the same way I always say with, um, with employees, there's never any of them that I've regretted firing. Every single person I fired, I've always regretted not doing it sooner. It's just exactly it's the, the lawsuits, you know what I mean? Nobody's ever going to say, oh, I just had a problem. I wish I didn't spend that money. Um, no, so touching on that again, um, uh, another big thing that we've dealt with that I do is a lot of my private lenders are people that are pulling money from their retirement accounts or because we're in an up market and money's cheap, they're pulling money out of their home equity lines of credit at three or 4%, giving them to somebody like me and we're paying them really good rates of return that are a lot more solid, maybe a little less volatile. But most people, after we talk to them about what you guys do, setting up things like QRPs, they'll call me back and say, I talked to my attorney, I talked to my CPA. They have no idea what the hell that even is. So I think that that's something that um, I don't know if it's specifically uh, exclusive to your company or if it's just a, a little bit of a niche thing. But talk a little bit about QRPs because a lot of people contact me and they're looking for ways to lend money. And when I bring it up to them, they, they've never heard of it before. And then the first thing they do is go, well, that sounds different. Well, let me go ask my guy. And then it may, they, they go back to me like, no, that's not even a thing. I'm like, it is a thing. Your guy's the idiot. So like, uh, touch, touch on that a little bit. Yeah. So what oftentimes I tell people, if your professional's not up on it, the safest thing to be is down on it because they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they're going to have liability exposure because they tell you, oh yeah, that sounds great. And they don't know what they're talking about. And then you do something and you get into trouble with it and you come back and sue them. So 
when you're looking at planning, you know, what you need to be working with is someone who is willing to understand your motivations and, and what you're looking to do and then find solutions for you. And one of the issues that has come up with real estate investors has always been this, you know, how do I access my retirement funds? How do I put my IRA to use? Because I don't like the volatility in the stock market. It scares me. I want to get consistent returns on my investing. But in order to do that, I have to take over control of it. And so everyone's probably heard of self-directed IRAs. And that's a cool term. And, and it does give you the control that you're looking for, but it does come with some strings that are attached and it really limits what you can do with your funds. And one of the um, areas that a lot of people are shocked to discover is that I were investing into real estate is not necessarily tax-free. That is, you think your IRA doesn't have to pay taxes? Well, there are situations where you put it into real estate deals, it will pay tax. There is an individual that uh, I was speaking to two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and he's a syndicator and he puts together uh, investment partnerships, LLCs, and he brings in investors. And I asked him, I said, so how many of your investors are IRAs that are self-directed IRAs are invested into it? He said, oh, probably about 35%. I said, interesting, have you informed them of the tax hit that they should be, that they're taking on an annual basis and when the property is later sold after it's stabilized? And he said, what are you talking about? IRAs don't pay tax. I said, well, yeah, they do because in most syndications that I'm familiar with, they're probably 70% leveraged. And because those are IRA monies coming in, then 70% of all the income when the property sells on the, on the rents from an annual basis, that's taxable to the IRA at 37%. And it was just dead silence. And he goes, how much liability do I have for that? And I said, well, you really don't have liability, but you should be upcoming and, and tell your investors this. And he, he was like, well, no one's ever told me this before, to your point. And I said, well, just because no one's never told you it before doesn't make it not true. Um, but there's a solution. And he was all over that. And he goes, well, what can I do? And I said, well, all we have to do is take that same money, change it from a self-directed IRA, put it into a qualified retirement plan. And the individual investor will have all the control, actually more control than they have with a self-directed IRA. And they can make that investment. And it's not subject to that tax. That tax that I described to you is only applicable to IRAs. And again, it was, gosh, I've never heard this. Exactly. Because the professionals, the industry, the people that you surrounded yourself with, and they've done a great job at marketing, this self-directed IRA industry has always been about, I want to control your money. I want to get assets under management and this is the way to do it. And you're going to get these bells and whistles and this is the best thing out there. They're not interested in teaching you some of the other tools that are available because it really takes them out of the game. And their motivations is to maintain control of the assets that they bring in. Whereas I'm not in it on the financial planning side. So I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't make my money off your money. What I want to do is show you a way in which you have the most control over your retirement funds with the least amount of restrictions and a situation where you're not going to pay excessive amounts in tax on your returns. And so the way we do that is by creating a plan, a tool that is really uniquely qualified for real estate investors, which is a qualified retirement plan. And, and you're wondering, you know, is that a, a special type of document that only Anderson creates? No, it could be, it, it's a solo 401k. It's a profit sharing plan, which is a 401 plan. It's an all-encompassing term. And the reason why I use it, and I just don't tell people, oh, set up a solo 401k, which I'm sure some of the people who, who are watching this podcast have probably heard of before, is because, again, it comes back to what we've always been talking about. I don't know what is the best plan for you. Maybe the 401k is not the best plan. Maybe the 401a, based upon your investing, is a better plan for your situation. So rather than confuse people and say, use a 401k, and then when we sit down, I say 401a, and you're like, well, wait a minute, you've just been talking about 401ks. I choose to use the term qualified retirement plan. And then on a one-on-one -on -one basis, we determine what is the best solution for your situation, given what you want to do with your, your investing money. But yeah, I mean, this is the... Experienced investors know this stuff. That's the, those are the tools that they use. And the inexperienced investors, the ones that struggle to put deals together, even though they think they have control, they're using self-directed IRAs. And, and I always tell people this, is that when you create the right tools around yourself, and you, it's, it's the planning again. So you've planned, you've created, your, put yourself in a situation so that when an opportunity is there, you're ready to take action. You see somebody listing a house for sale, you can put in an offer on that house because you have the tools available that give you the ability to make the offer. Whereas your fellow investor, your competition, they can't because they're IRA custodian, you know, it's a Saturday, their office doesn't open till Monday and they got to wait till he gets done with his morning business before he's ready to get on the phone and, and deal with that seller of that property. Those are the differences between 
experienced investors, investors that find rapid success in their investing versus the other group that is out there. And yeah, they're, they're making it, but they're not making it nearly as fast as, uh, as the other guy. Because at the end of the day, I mean, what are your motivations? I mean, do you want to build a legacy of wealth for your children? Do you want to create a stronger retirement plan for yourself? So when you, you can retire earlier, do you want a uh, monthly income right now so you can live a little better lifestyle? You want to send your kids to school? Uh, you want to take vacations? Maybe you need to buy them a car. I mean, all of these things come into play in, in our lives and real estate can help us meet those obligations. And if you set yourself up the right way, you can get there a lot quicker and you can do a lot more. I could not agree with that more. And, you know, I get people always go, well, you know, you're, you're pushing this, you're pushing this. But the reason we push it is because we see what happens down the line when other people don't. And I tell everybody, if there's places you want to try and chintz out or save money or cut corners, this is not the one. You know, and again, I again, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't get anything from it, but I know the stress and the money and the financial parts. And I'm lucky enough to be in a position that when those things happen, it doesn't financially cripple me. But I know that there's a lot of people that are in those places. And just one of those occurrences for the average American, that could be it for them. You know, what, what are you going to do at that point? And again, my I think you and I recently had this conversation that if the, the little bit of extra money to put the proper structure in place you don't have, you really don't belong having any buy and holds or things like that. Like the types of properties you're doing that have those liabilities, maybe that's not the best thing for you. Maybe start wholesaling. So I'm um, touching on that as well. What are some things you can set up for, for some people that are starting out on the wholesaling side? Because you know we're dealing with a whole array of people from residential to people that are flipping, people doing buy and hold, syndication, multifamilies. But there's also people out there that are, are wholesaling. What types of structures or things do you put in place for that? Yeah. So, so this whole point, you know, in creating these structures, it's about investing in yourself. All right. You're, you're investing in yourself to make sure that you can achieve success. And that one mistake is not going to take this all away from you. And as we've been talking about, impact your life and your family. And so that's the the, the mentality or the mindset you should have when you're putting these structures together. I'm doing this to invest in myself to make sure that I'm going to be able to find success through whatever real estate endeavor I'm embarking on. And wholesaling is a classic example. People who start that activity, they think that there's no liability there. I'm just going to go out and make some offers. If some get accepted, then I'm going to flip them to somebody else and life's going to be grand. Not appreciating where the risk lies. I mean, I recently dealt with someone who did exactly what I just described, did not invest in themselves to create the proper structure for their wholesaling activity, put in an offer, got the offer accepted, had the property under contract, and then the investor they planned to sell the deal to backed out. And so now they're scrambling. They got another 40-day, 45-day extension on the deal, and they couldn't find another investor to step in. So then they walked away. Now, they thought all they would lose is their earnest money in the deal. They were shocked to learn that the seller turned around and sued them because the seller had taken the property off market for 75 days. And they said, in those 75 days, I lost money because I cannot sell that property what you made the offer uh, that the original offer I accepted from you. Therefore, I'm going to hold you liable for that. And so now here's an individual. They did it in their own name. They're being sued in their own name and they're not investing in real estate right now. They're defending a lawsuit right now. So as a wholesaler, you never want to make an offer in your own name because if anything goes wrong, you're going to get sued personally. So you always want to use the appropriate business entity. And this is the thing that, again, going back to looking at the activity, writing the story the right way. Can you use an LLC? Absolutely. Should you use an LLC for this activity? Probably not, because then you have to focus on the tax planning leg. What are going to be? What is the implication of that type of income? What is it going to do to my personal tax return? And with certain LLCs, the way most people set them up, it's going to make you a dealer in real estate. It's going to screw up your other investing side of your return. So we want to isolate it. Typically, we'll do it through use that activity through a corporation, uh, and so. We're looking at all legs of the stool and then making it so that the income you pull out is going to come out as W-2 income because at the end of the day, we want to make it you look better to lenders. So now when you move from wholesaling into buy and hold or fix and flip, you can actually go in. You got a strong 1040 that you show them, strong W-2 income. They don't know that you're in business for yourself because the biggest mistake that most real estate investors make is that their tax returns give it all the way to the lenders. It shows them, hey, I flip properties. I'm a wholesaler. And they see that. 
and you're toxic to them. So you might don't want them to know that you're involved in that type of activity because they don't then believe that this is a serious business for you or that there's too much risk involved because the market fluctuates. And so they need to determine what their liability is and they deem it to be too high to make loans to those types of individuals. Well, write the narrative the way you want. Tell them you're a W-2 employee, you work for a company that's involved in uh, asset acquisitions and you make X amount of dollars a year based upon your W-2. Now you're not using the term real estate. You're not freaking them out uh, and they're not picking it up on your 1040. So there's, there is some uh, planning that goes in, understanding where these uh, issue points are, uh, pain points are in, in your overall structure, because we know what's coming down the road for you. And so we want to make sure we're checking off all those boxes. Man, that is so huge. And, and again, I, I always use the term black belts that when I roll with guys in jiu-jitsu that are black belts, it's not that they're tapping me out with stuff that I've never seen before. It's that they're already thinking five, six, seven, eight, nine steps ahead. And I'm just worrying about what's in front of me, which is exactly what we should be doing as real estate investors. We don't have the time or the, the knowledge or the experience to think about all those other things. And that's why I think it's such a valuable resource to have somebody like you on my team, have Anderson on my team to think through those things that I just don't think about. I call you up and then you make me think about those things. And it's made me a much better real estate investor. It's made me a better trainer. And I, you know, I, I feel a lot better um, about all the things I get into knowing that I'm spending the money up front. I'm doing the things up front. So God forbid something does happen down the line, the financial and the brain damage part of that. I know it's, it's going to be a, a, a crappy day. I'll be a little bit upset about it but it's not going to be something that takes me out of the game for the next 6, 12, 18 months. So I appreciate you uh, helping me out with that and being patient with explaining all those things to me over the course of the last couple of years. It's been absolutely awesome. And I really can't say enough about how well you present that stuff because it's a very tough, dry, boring topic. And you're literally the only, no offense to anybody else, but you and, uh, and the guys in your company are the only ones that I've ever attended a training for or, or listened to on a webinar that actually keep it entertaining. It's, it's, it's hard, man. You know, a lot of caffeine is needed. And so it's a really cool thing. You guys have a really great skill for, for explaining things in a way and really come from a place of educating. But again, anybody who even listens to that, you just told them exactly what to do, but they're still going to sit there and go, I, I, I don't really know. Exactly. Like, I don't know how to fill out that paperwork. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do those things. That's not how I make my money. So I know on my uh, nicknicknick.com site, there's a resource tab that they can actually contact you directly and have you guys do an initial consultation for various different things. So um, I'll put that up there and I'll put it on the, on the podcast notes and I'll put it out there on social media for them to set that up. Um, what are some things that somebody might be able to use that for? Why would they want to contact you? What kind of services do you guys offer that they can initialize it with that initial consultation? Well, first off, you know, we offer a wide range of services, but that's not the important aspect here. What we want to look at is creating a plan. We got to get a blueprint put in place for you. And so by taking that initial step to get that call, to set up a time to speak with someone who understands your business is the most important aspect. And then we can look at the structures that may be uh, most appropriate for you. So I don't want to, you know, put the cart before the horse here and say, well, you know, you should be creating an LLC, corporations, QRPs, things like that. Because you may not be at that point where you need those types of tools, or maybe you just need one aspect of it. And so what we really need to do is evaluate each individual rather than just come out and say, everyone needs this. Because the individuals that take that approach are really not doing themselves any, any service. They're doing a disservice to their clients. And their clients will figure it out later on down the road. Like there's a, there's a company that advertises a lot on the internet, and they set up Nevada entities all over the place. And People think that they're getting protection until they buy a property in the Nevada entity in Illinois and they try to kick out a tenant and they bring the unlawful detainer action. They can't because they set up the structure in Nevada and it doesn't work in Illinois the way they thought it would. So these are things that we will address with you. So what's really important is that you first get your plan in place. Call us up. We're not going to charge you for that. And, you know, my gift to, to all of your listeners, people that are on this podcast, is that I agreed to waive our strategy session fee so we can sit down with them, design out that plan, spend some time, get some focus, right? So you know where you're going. Start writing the story so we know where that ending's going to be rather than allowing the attorneys to write the ending for you. I love that, man. And I really appreciate that. And people ask me about it all the time. So I think it's huge. Again, nicknicknick.com. Click on the resource section, schedule a consultation with Anderson, have them start to write that story for you and map out a plan for what actually fits you. Because again, it's not one size fits all. So everybody has that unique conversation. 
And I love that you guys are so flexible like that. Clint Coons, any final thoughts, any final statements, any uh, wine recommendations, anything you want to share? <laughs> yes, um, I would just say this, that uh, when it comes to planning, it starts early, not later. Create your foundation first. Anything you do in life, you're building a house, take the real estate example, it begins with the foundation. Same with uh, asset protection, tax planning for real estate investing. You want to build your foundation. And that starts with having a proper plan and the proper entity that's going to address your specific needs. So it'll help take your investing to that next level. I want to make you an investor that knows that when there's an opportunity out there, you've set up the structure so you're ready to take action. You're not going to be fumbling trying to figure out how to put this thing together and make things work. You already have it in place and it's going to make your life and you're going to so much easier and you're going to find success in the process. So with that, with the wine recommendations, more the better. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'd only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Real estate consultant, Black Belt, and asset protections and tax planning, Clint Coons for the A-Game Podcast. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, I'm going to shut this off, but then I have one more question for you, so stick around. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. Take care.